Well, please do turn in the Word of God to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. And our text is the first part, or the verse really, we read the whole verse of number 20. Matthew 12, verse 20. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoke in flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And our thoughts this evening are particularly the lovely words about the smoke in flax, shall he, that is Christ, not quench. And the title of the message is Comfort to the Feeble. And we often feel feeble-minded and faint-hearted at times as believers. We have a a wonderful saviour. He's great, he's holy, he's majestic, he's done so many wonderful things for us. You read about in Romans how he chose his people, he called his people, he justified them, he sanctified them, he's adopted us. In the present tense, he's glorified us. Heaven awaits to God, it's already happened. But we can understand these doctrines, but our salvation is not just spiritual algebra. When I was interviewed by Pastor Watts and Pastor Saunders and I think Pastor Dowie Hyam nearly four years ago when I was thinking about the seminary and they were asking me questions and my question to them about the seminary was, well, how will we be taught? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't feel it's right that if we just discuss these things as if people do algebra and hypothetically and toss precious things about and Pastor Watts assured me it would be experimental Calvinism, and so it's proved to be. And the thing about our salvation is, is it is a relationship with the Lord, isn't it? That's the wonderful thing. We thought something of that this morning, that God, through his grace, through Christ, we can have a great relationship. And one of the wonderful things about the word of God, inspired by the Lord himself, is it reveals something of his character. If an earthly man, he did some great things to effect a rescue, to save someone's life, he could do that. He could be maybe good-natured, but he could be impulsive. He could be kind, but he could be short-tempered. Yet the Lord has shown us his word here to show something of his gracious character. And we can know something of his love and his gentleness and his meekness to his people. Yes, he is the judge of all the earth. Yes, At times he chastens his people. We only have to look at the seven letters written to the churches in Revelation. And he will crush his enemies. But his love is critical. If we lose sight of his love to us, it will greatly affect our Christian walk. And of course this is demonstrated in the deepest manner at Calvary. In the Song of Solomon we read this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine and this verse is a wonderful comfort to the believer and it's what something the lord will never do he will never cast off any of his people and i want to consider three simple things from this fraction of a verse the condition which is presented here the comfort which is given and the cure if you're in that condition and so as we consider the condition there are there are two mentioned one is a bruised reed Shall he not break? And then secondly, and smoke in flax, shall he not quench? And if Matthew really was a gospel written to show that Christ really is the king of all the kings, the Messiah, then this really does show how he deals with his people once they're in his kingdom. 
Well, just briefly, the Bruce Reed. Well, Charles Spurgeon has an interesting comment on that. He said the shepherds would use these musical instruments and they were made out of reeds. And they needed to be strong reeds to be able to get a tune out of them. And if they were bruised in some way, then they were no good and they would just be discarded. And this is something the Lord would never do. It's a picture, really, of us when we're crushed by our sinfulness before the Lord, by a real conviction and a sense of our complete and utter failure. And the Lord says, I won't, I won't just cast you off. There's hope in my grace and my mercy. But I'm not going to dwell on that. I want to think about the smoking flax. Now, apparently they would use a little wick made from flax, so you get the end of a candle, don't you? Something like that. And it was in a little small bowl of oil. And it would be lit. And the oil would fuel it. And that would be a little lamp. And you would take it away. And, of course, the purpose of it was to bring forth light so you could see. And if it was smouldering away, we have an open fire at home sometimes and it gets frustrating if it doesn't take. And you're tempted if it was smouldering away, this little wick, well, I'll just snuff it out. It's no good and I'll try something else. And this is something of the Christian life. Perhaps it could apply to a young Christian. God has begun a work of grace in their heart. Light has begun to shine. A picture of life in the soul. Or it could be a picture of a backsliding believer that once shone brightly for the Lord and yet things have dimmed down. But this picture of light is a wonderful picture in the life of a soul, what the Lord does. How the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, has brought a soul to life. The light of the gospel is shone in into the darkness And the Lord has graciously granted a spark of faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And we know something of a new attitude towards sin and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a very helpful verse in John, dealing with ones that sometimes lack assurance. And it's what happens to a soul when the Lord begins to deal with them and has brought them to Christ and their relationship to the word of God. And this is this John 3 verse 20 the unbeliever does this, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or discovered. So they keep away. I remember as an unbeliever, I didn't like being around Christians. They made me feel uncomfortable. I looked at them, I thought, you seem so vulnerable. And they, they were, because they were sheep. But there's something different about you, and it made me feel my uncleanness. I didn't like someone to open up the word of God. I kept away from it because I knew it would swiftly convict me. But when God has shone his light in a person's soul and brought them to the Saviour, a wonderful thing happens in verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, they're wrought in God. It's a wonderful picture. God has said to the soul, let there be light. And the light of his word shines in. Christ is revealed, our sin is revealed. We're brought to trust in Christ. We know he's our only hope. He's the only way for our sin to be atoned. And we come as we are. And then there's a transformation where we think, I need to be under the word. I need to hear the word preached. I need to hear the Lord speak to me. And it's a key thing in the life of a believer. If you're troubled with your assurance, just one of the marks. But what's your relationship to the word of God? And it's a mystery you can... I've almost lost your assurance 
And yet you go to the house of God and the Lord speaks to you and you're glad. You may still have doubts and fears, but you hear his voice. So the light is shone into the soul. We have a knowledge of Christ, a knowledge of his salvation. We have a new purpose in life. Do you remember that day when you realised, my life isn't about me. It's not about my ideas, my plans and my desires. It's about serving Christ. And we can have a love to the Lord and it can burn so brightly, particularly in those early days. It's a love that should grow. It can be very intense. We can feel his love. The Lord works his graces in amongst us and we feel a love to mankind generally, but especially we feel an affinity to believers. We might get on with some believers better than others, but there's this unspoken bond that that is a fellow child of God, that is a brother or sister in Christ. And the Lord is working in our heart. We begin to display some of the light of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Christ alludes to this in Matthew 5, verse 16. Where he says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so we've seen this change. And it can be quite dramatic. For some people it can be a very short experience. Me, it was a a road to Damascus experience in the sitting room of the manse of the church and my father was pastor in a split second brought from death to life some men or women or boys and girls it's over months even years and uh, and I have one friend of mine they came to realize over time that actually I think I must be converted because the things the preacher's talking about this happened to me and how I feel about the Lord I never had these thoughts before I think one of the biggest uh, signs is this we begin to mourn over sin We think, I don't want to be like this anymore. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. I just want to be like Christ. This light has shone in the soul, dramatically or gradually. But our verse speaks about a change which has come upon the soul. It says, a bruised reed shall he not break, and smoke in flax shall he not quench. And that which burns so bright has sadly begun to dim. And once there was a nice light, a clear testimony, and now there's just a a smouldering wick and it's giving off smoke rather than light. And we consider the causes of this later. And amidst the spark of grace, Spurgeon puts it beautifully, speaking about the life of a believer. He said, the life of a believer is like a spark from a fire being held above a raging ocean, which would quench it at any moment. He said, yet the Lord graciously preserves it but amidst this spark of grace which once burned so brightly doubts have arisen fears have arisen corruption is felt a life which felt so strong now feels so weak perhaps this is you this evening child of God and you're worried that it's going to extinguish you're worried that the soul your soul's going to fall into apostasy that you're going to fall away you have a genuine fear will I ever get to heaven Or perhaps you ask yourself the question, despite some of the marks of grace that we've considered, you begin to say, well, am I really born again? Am I really a child of God? You look at other believers and they seem to burn so brightly. And it's a time of great uncertainty. 
And the thing about smoke, and I forget the commentator that makes this point, is smoke, when it's present instead of light, is very offensive. Um, if you've ever had that experience with the fire at home, it's very frustrating. And smoke can come out even into the, doesn't go up the chimney, even into the room. And you can think, look, it should be burning brightly. And it's frustrating. It's offensive, offensive to others. And friends, when we look at our soul and it's not, our life with the Lord isn't what it should be, it can be offensive to us. We see these doubts and fears and we say, well, why am I like this? We see some of the corruptions which seem to spring up, these horrible thoughts and lusts, these wrong desires, the inconsistencies in our speech, in our actions, and seeing there's very little grace. And we can despise even what's gone on in our heart. John Bunyan said an incredible thing as a, a true believer. He said, I wish I'd been created a frog. What a thing to say. Why did he say that? He said, because when I look at the corruption of my heart and the weakness of it, I'd have been better off being a frog. And when we see this, and perhaps this is you tonight, or it's food for the future, we can all pass through this difficult pathway, a fear comes over us. Perhaps the Lord will reject me. Because if we look at how we treat things which are useless, that's what we do, isn't it? I once had an old bicycle pump, you remember that little metal shaft and you pump like mad for it and it split and it was good for nothing. You'd have to pump 20 times as hard because the air was leaking out so I threw it away. If you take an old car to the garage and it's not a classic car and sometimes the mechanic will give you a quote and say look this is beyond economical repair, get rid of it. Or if you've had a computer too long and it gets slower and slower you say right I'm just going to finish with this. And so we then wrongly assume, well, I can see as a professing Christian, my witness is not what it should be, and I doubt whether Christ will keep me on. And I think he's just going to snuff me out, because I'm such a poor believer. In a strange way, this fear is a sign of life in itself, because if you've only ever known darkness in your soul, you have to have known something of the light of Christ to know the difference. Does that make sense? If I had a candle and suddenly it began to dim down and, and the room was darker, there's been a change. And you must have life to be alive to recognise that you're not healthy. If you have a child and it was stillborn, then the stillborn child wouldn't cry. But if you have a young baby it's born and it becomes sickly, it begins to mule and cry. There's life there, but it's very weak. And perhaps, my friend, that's you tonight in this horrible, crippling, troubling tradition, worried what's going to become of you, worried if you're born again, you're in a poor way, you're a smoking flax. Well, there's much comfort in this verse, and we consider that now. Now, this verse is first found in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, and it's actually addressed to the Gentiles and the Lord is saying that he's going to do a, a great work amongst the Gentiles, and in their, their souls he'll never quench it. But in, it's interesting, in chapter 43, the Lord says this in verse 1 to Israel, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. And you know the context of the verse well, I'm sure, that 
God's people had fallen into idolatry. They turned their back on the Lord. Isaiah was sent to warn them. And he warned them they were going to be taken away into captivity. Their land was going to be wrecked. And uh, they were going to think that everything had gone wrong for them. And so looking at the character of the Lord, how he's reassuring them then to say, look, yes, you're going to go through deep waters because you've not listened to me. You've not heeded my warnings. I'm going to teach you a lesson. And they'd be gone for 70 years. And they might think it was all up for them. So the promise to the Gentiles applies to them too. They may fear that God would snuff out Israel, would say, we were once so great. Under King David, we had such a prosperous time. And has God forsaken us? Is it all up for us? And yet this promise to the Gentiles also applies to his people. And it's the same for the believer. The Lord would never ever snuff out that which he has created. Christ says to us this this evening, whatever's gone on, know this, I will never snuff out the spark of eternal life I have created in your soul. To have that fear of falling away, which is a healthy fear to a degree, but when we fall into sin... And to try and struggle with that and the condition is absolutely crippling. So we need to understand the reasons why the Lord would never do this. And I want to give you some simple reasons why Christ would never ever cast you off. And this isn't an excuse to be backslidden, we'll deal with that at the end. But we must understand the wonder of the rock in which we stand. The number one is the sheer love of Christ. In Ephesians verse five, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we read about that we're to walk in love because Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13 that love beareth all things. And that applies to Christ's love to you and I. And when our, our light, our witness, has gone down to a smouldering flax for the wrong reasons... Christ still loves us. He still bears with us. He doesn't say, well, that's it. I'm finished with you. So number one is his love, which is unchanging, undimmed, and everlasting. And as we thought this morning, it's an unconditional love. Christ died for the ungodly. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a wonderful thing. He didn't choose you and I, if you're a believer, because we were so lovely. He described himself as a physician, a doctor, and had come to deal with some very sick people. You remember the Pharisees criticised him? and said, why are you spending time with these sinful people? And he said, well, the physician, words to this effect, they don't come to deal with the, the healthy people, they need the sick people. And the sicker we are, the more we need a doctor. And Christ said, I came to save sinners. I didn't come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. So his tenderness and his compassion to sinners, to his people, is indescribable. Paul was overcome with it, trying to use all these words to describe the great dimensions of the love of Christ. And that hasn't changed. Uh, I think it's Matthew Paul, or one of the older commentators, described it as a mother that has a sickly child. And the other children are healthy. There's a sickly child. What does the loving mother do? They don't... So look at that child, they're they're not studying, they they can't dress themselves properly, they're spending their days in bed, they're an annoyance to me, the heart goes out. Now if you're a struggling believer this evening, please my friend, don't doubt that Christ has stopped his love towards you. There's things you're going to need to do, there's things you're going to need to take in hand, but understand this, Christ's love 
has not changed. And his want, his character is to encourage and not discourage his people. This smoking flax, which can be offensive, which is so dysfunctional, he's not going to snuff it out. Another reason is, is that the Lord keeps just balances. You know, if you have a, a scale and uh, uh, the weight should equal what you're purchasing. And there's a proverb, it doesn't come to mind now, but that to have just weights. And the Lord has just weights because in Romans 5 verse 9 we read this, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Why am I bringing that up? Well, there is the poor struggling believer, very, very aware that their Christian life is not what it should be, that their walk with the Lord has greatly tailed off, that their service is not what it should be, that their love is down to almost nothing, fearful perhaps of leaving this life. Well, God keeps a just balance. If that poor soul has been led to trust in Christ, and Christ has borne all of God's punishment, then the justification is complete. The Lord is then not going to demand a further punishment from the believer. Can you see that? He's going to say, well, it's been paid in full. I will not impute sin to you. God will not break his word. You can't be partially justified. You're either fully justified or you're not. You're either declared not guilty before God or all of our sin is attributed to us. The whole debt of our sin has either been paid by Christ or none of it's been paid. And just because the light in our Christian life, our profession, our walk with the Lord is not what it should be, that has not been uh, removed from us, that blessing. Another reason why God would never, why the Lord would never quench the smoking flax is that he would never break his word. There's a wonderful promise in Jeremiah 31, verse 34. We read this, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember neither their sin no more. The Lord would never start to look back and say, I've changed my mind. Actually, I'm going to remember in in an action of guilt and judgment against you the wrongs you've committed or the patheticness of your profession. The wonderful thing is that before the Lord saved us, he knew all about our corruptions, our doubts, our fears, before we committed them. He knew what Peter was going to do. He warned Peter, you're going to deny me. And yet, he said, I've prayed for you. He warned that uh, he knew what David would do when he fell into gross sin. And yet, forgiveness had been made. Now, this isn't an excuse for gross sin. But we have to understand the gospel, the amazing abundance of grace, that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Also, it would be the breaking of a promise. Lovely, one of my favourite verses in John chapter 6 and verse 37. We read this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out and he goes on to say a few verses later that and this is the father's will which hath sent me that of all which he hath given me i should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day and this is the will of him that sent me that every one which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and i will raise him up at the last day 
that word that the Lord says that he would not, I will no wise cast out, it's very, very strong, it's unthinkable. I think I'm right in saying in the original Greek, it's I will never, never cast out. So then for the Lord Jesus, having said that all those years ago, to then review the situation and to say, actually, I've had a change of heart. You're not what I thought you were going to be. You're not the Christian I thought you were going to be. Actually, you're too big a case for me to deal with. I'm going to cast you out. It's unthinkable. The devil would say that he had won, that he'd actually achieved something. Uh, He'd been stronger than Christ. He'd kept a child of God from reaching heaven. It would be impossible. Everyone who's been drawn to trust in Christ, however small their faith is, however weak their faith is, will see heaven. The power of God is infinite, and even our will, even in our weakness, cannot overcome it. One man puts it like this, that the universe would implode before the Lord would not keep his word or his power usurped. It's a great comfort. He will send forth justice to victory. But what's the cure if you feel like this tonight? Having established something of the comfort and the solidity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the first thing, if you feel spiritually sick, is not to fight two battles. You've got the condition, but then if you're fighting against a lack of assurance, then that's a heavy burden to bear. Accept the wonder of the Lord's grace to you. Accept what he says in his word. It will never go back on what he's done in your life. Because if you try and struggle with this condition and then wonder if you're even saved, it can become like a living death, as one man put it. It's an awful situation. But see, my dear friend, that not just your standing is secure, but that his love for you remains unchanged. The times you felt something of the Lord's love in your heart, perhaps those love tokens when he's come and he's drawn very, very close to you and heaven has drawn near and this world has seemed so dim and everything seems so real and yet now you feel the complete opposite. Well, remember that his heart remains unchanged. He still loves you just as much. His heart has not changed at all towards you. You know, that takes faith, doesn't it? Particularly when we look how we can treat each other at times. But his love remains undimmed. As it's been described many times, it's like the sun beaming down and then a cloud comes between the sun and the earth. Well, the sun's still there. The sun of his love is still there. Draw near to him, assured of his love. But we must consider some of the reasons which his condition can come about. Now think about us being described as children of God. And what do children need? And we all need, we need food. If you neglect your spiritual food for your soul, then you will feel very, very weak. If your private devotions, your private communion with the Lord is not what it should be, your soul will begin to suffer. If your public food, if your attendance at the house of the Lord is not what it should be, you'll begin to suffer. It's a little bit like you have a fire full of coals and the coals are like believers. If you take one coal and put it aside, it loses its heat. If you're not here regularly worshipping with the family of God, your spiritual life is going to decline. So we have to ask ourselves the question honestly, if you feel like this, well, how are my private devotions? How's my public devotions, my public worship? Is that being neglected? Another reason is worldliness. Satan is ever trying to tempt us that there's an alternative path than the straight and narrow path of self-denial and following Christ, which leads to heaven. 
And if we begin to listen to him and begin to walk again in the mud of this world and begin to defile ourselves with the evil communications in this world, then that will affect us. The Lord will be grieved. If you're trying, you can't serve two masters. You know this. If ever we try and have our cake and eat it, we try and just say, well, I'll dabble in a little bit of sin, not too much. I'll just watch a little bit of this. I'll go to a little bit of this place, which is unhelpful. It will affect your spiritual life. Christ said to be ruthless, to cut sin off, to pluck our eyes out metaphorically, to chop our hands off, to be ruthless with sin. It took me a long time to learn that as a Christian, having come out of a very worldly background. The Lord is very gracious, but in the end, he is our master and he will be God. And when he said you can't serve two masters, yes, that's a warning, but also it's just a fact you can't. You'll get more and more miserable until in the end you say, Lord, I can't carry on like this. Well, save yourself the long journey. Come back to Christ this evening in your walk. Give up that besetting sin. Also, our service is easy to be self-absorbed as a Christian. It's easy, sadly, if we're not walking closely with the Lord, to be selfish and to let others do all the tasks. We should all have a task to play within church life, whether it's administrative, whether it's outreach, whether it's works of compassion, loving each other, bearing each other's burdens. If we become selfish with these things and are not following Christ's footsteps, then we'll grieve the spirit and our light will begin to dwindle. Another one is our lack of faith. So often we're driven by feelings, aren't we? If we feel it to be true, then it must be true. But we're told to walk by faith and not by sight. And if we don't take the Lord at his word, consistently and persistently, we're driven by our feelings, well, this can grieve our Heavenly Father. He's given us such a, a great, the ultimate sign of his promise at Calvary and all his dealings with us. So we must take the Lord at his word. If we begin to begin to get drawn into mysterious debates over scripture and begin to doubt it, if we begin to look into some of the controversies which we're told to avoid, if we begin to be affected by man's ideas over what the Lord says, begin to doubt Genesis and think, well, is it literally true? Is what God has said about relationships, have we understood it correctly? Is marriage just between a man and a woman? I've, re- I've reasoned how to deal with real believers that have begun to struggle because of the age in which we live in. Well, that will make you very sickly. We must take God at his word and trust him. But the amazing thing is, if we draw near to our Heavenly Father in faith, you will soon see how quickly the Lord can span just a little spark, a little dying ember, into a flame again. It's a wonderful Uh, aspect of the Lord's character, his faithfulness toward his people. Now, as I said uh, at the beginning, that this is not uh, an excuse if we grasp something of his grace for us to be lazy. It's not an excuse for us to be sluggardly or to be casual with the world. We're told in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Yet know this, struggling believer, the Lord will never cast us off his love will never diminish and this verse reminds us something of his tender love even to the weakest most struggling believer here tonight that he's willing to restore them that their forgiveness is complete he's willing to encourage them and he wants you to come back to him and to seek grace and strength and forgiveness and guidance and wisdom 
And now, dear friends, we look to the day when our Christian life will not just be a struggling ember, but will be finally be fully ablaze in glory. Well, if you're in that awful condition tonight, and all of us at some stage travel through those choppy waters, I pray that God's word will be of some comfort to you. We read the verse again. A bruised breed shall he not break, and smoke in flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. Well, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we do give thanks for your wonderful love and grace to the children of man. We thank you that your love is everlasting. We thank you, Lord, that you bear and forbear with us, Lord. We thank you that you will encourage even the struggling, backsliding believer. And we pray for any listening tonight, here in this building or online, if they be in that condition, that they would see something of your grace toward them and that you would restore them. Oh, our Father, do keep us from that which grieves you, from that which harms our spiritual life. Help us to give up all sin and walk ever more closely with the Saviour. Bless and be with us now, Father. Forgive all that your pure eyes have seen amiss, even for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.